0: This program is brought to you by the Provost Teaching Fellows at the Faculty Innovation Center of the University of Texas at Austin.
1: All right, you ready, Dixie? Yeah, I'm
0: just shutting down a few little programs. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Okay. I
1: think I should be good. Thanks for joining me today for our conversation on the other side of campus. Today, we're thinking about what else is possible. Maybe it's about this idea of sort of failing and learning from it. Which Um, I am
0: really good at. It's part of my brand, actually.
1: we are as people shapes who we are as teachers. About how our lived experience informs our teaching. Uh, we can be flexible and adapt and change this. You're, you're free to do that. We don't have to have it perfect. We are about getting folks together from all walks of teaching life. The key
0: phrase you, you suggest there is it has to be done collectively.
1: We have so much to learn from the other side of campus. <laughs> <laughs> from the University of Texas at Austin, this is The Other Side of Canvas. I'm Stephanie Holmsten, Assistant Professor of Instruction in International Relations and Global Studies. And
0: I am Dixie Stamforth, and I'm a Professor of Instruction in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Education. And I'm also a Provost Teaching Fellow
1: and delighted to be working with you. Thanks, Dixie. This is going to be fun. So today we are thinking about teaching and learning through trial and error. So I have to tell you, my dad is an adventuresome person, loves the blank slate, starting something new, exploring and asking questions, but he also has a motto. His motto is, we'll never do that again. And to me, what that reminds me is that when we're trying new things, we often learn as much about what we won't do again as about our great ideas.
0: Boy, is that not the truth. I, I should have a tattoo <laughs> that says, I'll never do that again. So what we want to discuss today are some of the processes of how we learn through failure. My students would tell you that I encourage them in that all the time. And I would have to say that it comes, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a professional in learning through failure. Thankfully, as we are looking at shifting our teaching fairly dramatically from last spring and even into this fall and perhaps the upcoming spring, we all have a tremendous opportunity to learn and grow.
1: Dixie, it's awesome to hear you talk about really embracing failing as a relatively new faculty member, I tend to see my more experienced colleagues, instructors standing in what looks like a lot of confidence to me. We often approach our students relying on our expertise and our research guided by some training and pedagogy or a good sense of teaching. And I imagine then that generally when I'm in front of my students, I am confident in my plan, certain of what I'm doing. But just as you suggested, certainly in the spring when we moved online, we had to adapt, change, try new things right in front of our students. And it sounds like you had an experience like me where I was constantly coming up with new ideas, ideas that sounded good in my head, but then I put them into practice right in front of my students and they fell apart right there in the classroom, an assignment that failed, a lecture that flopped, exams that didn't measure what I thought they were gonna measure. And I had to then fix those failures in real time during class, and it was very hard to fail. Yeah, it is challenging, perhaps
0: because I've had more years <laughs> of failing that, that I've maybe been able to lean into it more. My, I have a, a little hand signal that I use with my students to indicate growth mindset. And I realized this spring, I would have to say that as I reflected on the spring, one of the best things that happened is I talk a lot about growth mindset. Every one of my students in all of my classes would tell you that. And yet I, in spring, came to understand that they don't perceive me as failing at anything. And I think the best thing that happened last spring was they got to see me fail, as you say, in real time and figure out how to respond and to try things and have them not work and be willing to say, you know what, let's maybe try it a different way. Or that brave student who was willing to reach out and say, you know what, (laughs) that really didn't work very well. Are you going to maybe do it differently next time? And so, What I loved about the spring, as hard as it was, because even though I've been teaching for a long time, it was challenging to make that shift from face-to-face to to online, especially in my courses, which have a huge experiential component. Thankfully, my students had heard me talk over and over about growth mindset. And I was able then to have that conversation with them and let them them see how did I learn and respond in the moment
1: you know what you're saying Dixie just rings so true to me how many times we might use a term like growth mindset and I want to follow up with you and have you tell me what that means to you where we would say it in class and we might be thinking as individuals back to times that we were doing something new and experiencing that growth mindset But by the time we walk into that classroom, it's all polished up, just like a paper is, all polished and and ready for publication. And we don't see that process of how it got there. And similarly, what I'm hearing you talk about is I could imagine maybe I've made the mistake in the past of saying, let's embrace a growth mindset. But then all that I present to the student is the finished product. I never actually model what growth mindset looks like until the spring and we moved online and it was all about that growth mindset. So tell me what growth mindset means to you.
0: Well, so interestingly, the way I I have things that I have my students read, but when when we talk about it in class, I just try to apply it. My big thing is (laughs) let's apply this. What would this look like? In this particular class or in a particular setting that most of them have been a part of. So let's say, in one of my big, sort of a big core undergraduate class, 200 or so students in it. And so for that class, it's really great to have the growth mindset conversation early and talk about. So let's think about the upcoming exam. And what if? You don't do as well on that exam as you think you should or you expected to or that you think you deserve to do. How do you respond to that? And Let them reflect about that, perhaps share with another student. And it's fascinating to me, having taught at UT since 1985, a very long time. Uh, more and more students, they literally don't know how to respond to failure. Um. And coaching them and teaching them how to respond is something that i found to be valuable time spent in class. So we put that out there. You've spent plenty of time preparing and your grade, whatever your grade is, isn't what you're used to getting or what you expected to get. What do you do? And so many of them have to, if they're really honest, admit that they blame me, the teacher, They blame those tricky multiple choice questions and they have all these reasons for why they didn't do as well as they should have done, which would be a fixed mindset. It's not me. It's all these external things that I have absolutely no control over. And so then we shifted and say, not so much spending time on the counterfeit, which is the fixed. I want to spend my time on the real money. And let's talk about what would a growth mindset look like in those same circumstances and let them try to talk that through. If you had a growth mindset, how might you respond?
1: Dixie, what you're describing cues all sorts of thoughts for me. When I'm thinking about my learning objectives in the classroom, and anytime we reform our courses as much as we are doing now, it brings me back to that core sense of what am I doing? 15 weeks, a certain number of meetings, what do I want for the student to have experience, and what would I like To imagine would be the difference in that student after having spent that class time with me and what you're talking about would be such an awesome outcome that's for me I find a lot of the facts the dates and the names and the organizational labels that information can be accessed largely on the internet one could find that information So what are we practicing and gaining in class? And this idea of that growth mindset to be able to face a challenge, face an outcome that you're not satisfied with and ask, how am I going to approach that task differently next time to get me a better outcome or the outcome that I'm desiring? What a brilliant life posture to have Towards our work.
0: I have a picture that I use all the time in every class and it's it's a child eating peas and the peas are smeared, I love this picture, smeared all over this kid's face and he looks so happy and that is my intro slide for all my classes because learning is messy if it's done well. It is not neat, it's not polished, it's messy and if you had decided back in the day that, oh, I guess I just don't know how to eat peas. And it's just too hard to eat peas. And I just don't think that anybody should be required to eat peas. You're going to miss out on learning how to do something well. And so I try to use things like that, eating, walking. Every one of us learned how to walk through failure. How many times did you pull yourself up and fall down on the floor and everybody around you was going, oh, look how cute. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. That's how we learn. We learn by not doing things well. And if we completely isolate ourselves into doing only those things that we're good at, we are never going to grow and to learn. So I'm fortunate in my field, Steph, a little bit different than yours. I get to demonstrate physical movement. We get to look at videos of people doing exercises. It's so easy to capture some of these lessons when what you're really talking about is, you know, the ability of our body to do something like learn to walk when you were a child but now it's learn how to do a pike on a stability ball, which is a pretty advanced move. So when, when I'm teaching, I've learned to try to not always model it perfectly. And so learning by doing, experiential learning is my brand for sure as a teacher, but helping students be willing to learn to do things that they're not innately good at, that's one of my primary goals as a
1: teacher. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. So tell us more about experiential learning. What does it mean to you? What does it look like for you and your class?
0: You know, experiential learning is a term that I'm really thankful has become a part of our vocabulary recently. Because looking back, I've always done it. And now it's kind of, it's the thing. For me, experiential learning is learning by doing it is so hard for students and half of my semester sometimes it feels like I'm talking them off the ledge really really this is a great process and you can do this and I you know I, I, I need to film one of my friends with her little child falling down and all of us cheering them on so that I could play that for them I'm thinking of that right now because that's a lot of what I do. For many of these students, they have only learned by memorizing, they take a multiple choice test, and they think they know something, and then then they come to my class and they maybe did well in a science class where they had to explain the physiology of fat burning. And so then I asked them, so you have a client and are you going to let them use the fat burning mode on the elliptical machine? Tell me how it works and why you want me to do it or not. And all I get are 30 blank faces. Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't really understand it. And that is experiential learning to me.
1: And then it makes me think when we had to take these in-person classes and move them online, we ourselves were going through an experiential learning class about teaching and instruction. So I kind of want to hear the gory details. What did the spring look like for you? What worked and what didn't work? It's easy to tell somebody else, it's okay to fail, (laughs) but we rarely demonstrate and let other people see our own failures. You know, that level of
0: transparency is important at so many levels for students where they see that we don't have it all figured out and that things change. And that's life. So I think being transparent and letting students see that process is an amazing lesson. So all my classes are a little bit linked in that I figure I teach four classes a semester and why not get everybody connected because I'm connected with all of them. And so in my big lecture class, they're, as I said, mainly freshmen. They get to volunteer to be extra credit personal training clients for my first year training students. And so those students were matched together in the week before spring break, before any of this happened. It's a huge process. It requires DocuSign. Well, it requires three emails with me and the student, the the freshman student. Then I get them matched with one of my upper class students. Then we have to go through this whole 18-step DocuSign thing because of FERPA. So everybody got matched. The Wednesday, everybody was totally finalized the Wednesday before spring break. Oh, no. And so then they were supposed to come back and Friday after spring break was assessment week. And then they were going to create a training program just for that person. And then they were going to execute the plan and get feedback. And then they write it all up as their second exam.
1: All of this in person, face to face. Uh,
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because it's really difficult. Even my friends, my professional training friends, I mean, my famous professional training friends do not like teaching online. It is really challenging when it comes to helping somebody move well. There are so many elements. Anyhow, so quickly I realized that, well, none of that is going to work, but I need to give those freshmen the opportunity. To say, yes, I want to try to do this online. We have no idea if it's going to work or not because my first year students, they don't have any idea what they're doing because it's their first experience. And so, first, I needed to ask my trainers to say, let me lay this out for you, see what you think. You may opt to continue forward with your client that you were matched with if they want to do it virtually or you could train a friend or family member you are not socially distancing from and I will break up with your client. So I will tell them this isn't going to work. So I first needed to put some choice on the table and I think that's opened a door for students to make some choices that a lot of times they don't have any
1: input in making. Did that happen for you as well? For sure. We would then have conversations about... Essentially, here's plan A, and we see that that's silly. And so now we have to go back and say, well, my goal is for you to be able to play around with these concepts in this particular dynamic. How might we achieve that? And then, sure, students then offered formats for that to happen, ideas. And then what was awesome is they began to embrace that learning objective thinking a plan together. And then when we worked our way through the plan, they had already bought into the plan because they had been part of making it. And there was less of that explaining and um, sort of nurturing buy-in, if you will, because we had this open conversation about what that would look like. It's vulnerable. Yep. But it's awesome.
0: And don't you think it's a great example also of things that we learned in the midst of triage that we can carry forward into our teaching? I find there were so many lessons that I'm thinking, wow, I could have been doing this all along. I never thought to do something like what you just described. And while it feels like it might take a little bit more time on the front end, what it buys you is in the middle and the back end, students feel like they had a hand in creating and developing it. They understand it better. And
1: I would bet their execution ends up being much better as well. And there were things that they thought about in terms of maybe the technology or the format. They loosened up restrictions that I thought were important, but allowed mm-hmm. them then to be more creative while still achieving that goal. In your story, Dixie, what strikes me is the, stu- the option to allow the students to do the training virtually. Sounds like that is not the kind of training you have a lot of experience in. (laughs) I have zero. Mm -hmm. You were allowing them to engage in an activity that you might not be an expert in. And yet probably the exercise was effective because of how you sort of structured that conversation and made use of that.
0: Well, thank you for believing the best. However, <laughs> we all learn together. I, I just laid it out there for them. I've never done this before. We're all going to learn how to do this together. How much you want to do it is is to some degree up to you. Because some of the students opted to, I had so many people train their mothers or their brothers or sisters, which was fun. I had students train roommates because they weren't socially distanced. And to be honest, It just feels different. The energy is different when you can do a team-based thing like that together in person and not virtually. But what was fascinating was the willingness of the students to step up and try it because... So that was the initial two weeks post spring break. That was to prepare them for their second exam, which ends up being this huge, it's a writing component class. It is an incredible learning experience. So I actually broke it into three separate pieces and they would email them to me. I would print them out. My TA, who lives in the neighborhood and I, we would, we, we got all our steps in just walking back and forth and handing them off to each other. We would do handwritten copies, handwriting on them so that we could both give feedback, but I didn't want to make everything virtual. And then I scanned them and sent them back to them so that they were getting, instead of their single exam back, they got three pieces And what that led me to see was, you know what, this is harder to do face-to-face, but they did way better in terms of what I was asking them to do with writing and reflecting than my students who are doing it in the moment face-to-face. And so I've changed how it's going to be structured for the fall, because even though my class is face-to-face this was a much better way to do it. So like you, there are some takeaways that I think are gonna make me a better teacher in the semesters to come.
1: I like that idea of takeaways, right? This is the, what else is possible? I liked your idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset when it was fixed. I probably was saying, how can I make my online class happen virtually? What I feel like I've done now is say, what else is possible? with this virtual environment. And two things that I'm keeping in mind for myself from these stories, one, the value of talking to students, this is my goal for this assignment. Mm -hmm. I've structured this assignment in this way to try and achieve that goal. And then maybe inviting a conversation about possible flexibility, or as you even suggested, braver, real options for achieving those goals. Your most recent story also made me think, oftentimes after an assignment comes in, I'm likely to say, here's the best example. Here's the high achieving response. Here's the model answer. Maybe I could also say what things ended up in the the recycle bin through that process. How did you get to this answer? What options did you try that didn't work out? All the necessary failures that had to occur before that final success was achieved.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great way to think about it. What's A little different in this case is that every student was training a unique person. So I had one one student had her mom and there were cows in the backyard that moo and she used the fence and all kinds of interesting things. And I had another student who turned their apartment into a dance studio with strobe lights. So sharing some of the outcomes, but you know, the, the second exam was so unique where I really saw what you're talking about is the next experiential piece to this class is a practical final. It's the final countdown. So at the end of this semester, they've been working all semester long, learning how to do training, practice doing training, which they would got zero of, except for the second exam. And I had set up, so I So in face-to-face typical semesters, I have about 20 fitness professionals who come in and they observe my students training another student from a different class and they evaluate them and provide feedback. And this practical final is a competency exam to be able to register for the next course in the sequence, which is actual personal training in the real world. So while all of them did a really exceptional job on their exam, I, had, I went ahead and got all my friends lined up to observe, to provide feedback on a video training session. So I've got 20 people. They've all agreed. I, cre- I tweaked the evaluate the observation form. I gave them the assessment form that we use. I I changed everything. And then I started thinking about it and realizing as I'm talking to students who are saying, how is this going to work? And I'm realizing, you know, my clients, my videos with my clients, I've been doing this a long time and they're pretty bad. I cannot ask my fitness professional friends to watch bad videos and provide feedback in a way that's gonna affect their grade and their ability to move on to another class. I had to really think, I met with, you know, talked with my TA, I talked with some of the students because I was having regular meetings with all these students, as you know, we were living on Zoom, to try to get some ideas about what to do. And what I realized was, I have great students. They work really hard. And they don't need a practical final because I would say my pass rate is about 95 to 98%. They need practice. What they need is practice. So I threw out the practical final. All my friends, my fitness friends, were very happy about that. But I changed, I totally changed what it was going to be. Instead of the practical final, they were going to have to train Two people, twice, they were going to have to assess them and write up the workout, and they were going to have to peer evaluate at least one other person for both of them. So we used discussion board. We had students providing video clips of what it looked like so that none of us were wondering when you said cow in the backyard, did you really mean cow or was that a typo? So we needed a video clip. But what was so cool about that was those practice sessions replaced their, their labs where they would have been practicing. So it accomplished my learning objective by giving them practice with different people. What I did not anticipate happening, and I was definitely doing a happy dance, was their feedback to each other was so thoughtful and so insightful. Now, my TA was laughing because she, as we were reading them, she would say, That's exactly what we wrote on their exam. And I'm thinking, That's because we modeled it for them. They are moving in to help somebody else learn the same lesson that they learned. So, that was probably my biggest transition where, you know, I had contingency plans all over the place for all my classes, but in this particular class, um, that was, it would have been one of my more spectacular failures if I had asked them to video. Now, I'll, I'll go a little bit longer because I did tell them that if you would prefer, you could substitute for two of those training sessions, a video session That you are going to tape the whole thing, and I'm going to have one of my fitness professional friends provide you feedback. Only two of 28 students
1: chose that option. And that would have been the option that you would have assigned.
0: Yes. (laughs) Two of 28. And, man, was I glad. It's like you were saying... Thinking through the process and going through the steps and trying to figure out, what am I trying to accomplish? Part of it is the connection with the fitness professional. It's really important, I think, for them to get feedback from someone other than me and my TA. When I stepped back from it and realized, you know what, that's just not possible because they're not gonna be able to see half of their training sessions anyway. The real goal
1: was to provide the practice. Well, and Dixie, that's the growth mindset. It is so hard to let go of something that has worked so well for you in the past. There's a part of me that feels like, you
0: know, you had to pry that out of my hand. I was holding on to it so tightly. And that's an analogy that I've tried to use with my teaching since last spring. You know, I just need to look at all of this with open hands, because when I'm holding on so tightly to something, I'm not open to any of these other experiences I'm changing that second year class. They are, we used to provide feedback to them. Well, they are now going to be providing feedback to each other as opposed to we as the professionals being the only providers of feedback. And so it's another great example of, you know, as painful as spring was, there are lessons like that for all of us, I think, as we move forward to this next year of teaching that we can try and see how it goes with a whole different cohort of students, because now the circumstances are different and it may not work the same, but I really do think that reflecting on these lessons that we learn takeaways from the spring, and I'm teaching in the summer as well. So, spring and summer are really helping me. I think keep practicing open hands <laughs> when we take a moment and maybe breathe a little bit more deeply, do a five second exhale and let yourself think.
1: You, there are lessons for all of us. Yeah, it's neat to think because we tried new things. We were constantly in a process of evaluating, is this working for the students? Is this getting us where we want to be? Constantly reforming that. And in the fall, we'll see this mix of the things that have worked in the past, the new things coming in, speaking to each other. But sometimes maybe I'll preserve a moment where... I trip in front of the students to demonstrate this is what happens when you have to pull yourself back up and think in a live environment. Michael Starber does this work in his math problems. Give me some options. What might you do in this situation? Some of those options are not going to get you To your goal. But sometimes listing all those possible options is a great technique for problem solving, for that growth mindset, demonstrating letting go. I think we had to do a lot of that in the spring. And
0: sadly, I don't think I'm going to have to plan for that. I think it's going to happen organically in my world. And so, I think I'm going to have many opportunities to revisit this with you and we can share more stories of what we tried, what worked, what didn't work. Because isn't it funny how often in the luxury of our offices here where we're sitting and we think this seems like the greatest plan ever and then you realize that it's not. And so I think it, it's such an exciting time. And I, for me, I had to consciously shift my mindset in the spring. I mean, I think you can get paralyzed with all the ideas and all the things that are possible. And you see people who have been doing this really well for quite some time. And so I want to learn from them, but I also don't want to try to be them And I don't want to try to do everything that all these amazing online teachers are doing. And so I think that that's the balance and the tension that many of us who are transitioning like this find ourselves in now. There are lots of what else is possible things out there, but probably the most important thing is to evaluate who you are as a teacher, what works for you and for your content and I'm a firm believer in small changes, trying small things, seeing how they go, and maybe, you know, having a spectacular failure every once in a while. But I think my life is more defined by multiple small failures <laughs> that let me kind of realign and assess and then make change. Small steps is, is another takeaway, I think, for me from the spring for the fall
1: now dixie you are a star that is soothing and inspiring i like your idea add a thing or two play with some new ideas but stay true to that center of that class and who I am as an instructor in that process. Okay. That's a wrap. That's a wrap for me. Well done. You've been listening to The Other Side of Campus, a production of the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. For more information and to provide feedback, please visit us online at texasptf.org. Thank you.